This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. Well, happy Pride, y'all, and happy Feast Day of Bernard. And I'm not talking about the dog. I'm talking about the saint, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Today is his feast day. Uh, he was a medieval French abbot uh, best known for his reform of uh, Benedictine monasticism through the founding of 70 new monasteries of the Cistercian order, and he died on August the 20th, 1153. Bernard was also known for his mystical writings, and in particular, the 86 sermons he wrote on the Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, how in the world did that get in the Bible? <laughs> People have been asking that question for centuries. Most likely, the song made it into the canon of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures understood as an allegory describing God's love for Israel or Christ's love for the church. In its historical setting, the Song of Songs and that title, Song of Songs in the Hebrew, means the most sublime song. In the historical context of the song, we see a celebration of sexuality and eroticism of two lovers who cross societal boundaries of class and ethnicity in order to be together. The voice we hear in chapter one says, I'm black and beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the Kents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has gazed upon me. So these verses could mean that the person, the speaker, is a field worker, considered a lower class, darkened by the sun, or the lines could indicate that the speaker is from a different ethnic background than the lover or the daughters of Jerusalem. But the speaker will not let the societal structures or marginalization deter the quest for the lover. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pastor your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who is veiled beside the flocks of your companions? Sensuous imagery is used throughout the song, sight and touch and smell, to describe the lover's erotic encounters and to celebrate their embodied physical love. Bernard and medieval Christian mystics understood the language of the Song of Songs to express the desire of the soul for God. They understood that there is erotic energy in one's love and longing for God. Union with God is not unlike the ecstatic union experienced between two lovers. Listen to what Bernard says in his first sermon about the song. But there is that other song which by its unique dignity and sweetness excels all those I have mentioned and any others there might be. Hence, by every right do I acclaim it as the song of songs. 
It stands at a point where all the others culminate. Only the touch of the Spirit can inspire a song like this, and only personal experience can unfold its meaning. Let those who are versed in the mystery revel in it. Let all others burn with desire, rather to attain to this experience, merely than just learn about it. For it's not a melody that resounds abroad, but the very music of the heart. Not a trilling on the lips, but an inward pulsing of delight. A harmony not of voices, but of wills. It's a tune you will not hear in the streets. These notes do not sound where crowds assemble. Only the singer hears it, and the one to whom he sings. The lover and the beloved. And then we heard this lovely psalm this evening expressing God's desire for us, God's knowledge of us, and God's ongoing presence in our lives. I love the BCP translation of verse 2. You trace my journeys and resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. The psalmist gets so overwhelmed at one point and says, such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It's, it's so high I cannot attain it. And then later bursts into a moment of awareness and praise. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and that I know very well. Wonderfully made. We are wonderfully made. And we've printed that reminder on our pride bracelets this year. We've got some extras. If you didn't get one, they're out there uh, in the Northex area. Wonderfully made. And how great it was to send folks off with that affirmation when they stopped by our booth today at the festival. These texts speak to the holy integration of our sexuality and our spirituality. But it's been hard to claim that truth because of the body-spirit split in our Western Christian tradition. It's a split that claims the body is bad and sinful while the spirit is godly and good. And that split has had an impact on everything from climate change to gender equality. The associations that are made with the body include matter, earth, female, evil, sin. And those associations have resulted in harmful actions or inaction regarding the way we treat the earth and women. Associations made with the spirit include reason, air, male, good, perfection. And those associations have resulted in a patriarchal culture and a disembodied spirituality. Theologian James Nelson put it this way, a deadly sin of which our religious traditions are often guilty is a sexless image of spirituality. There is, this has been a bane of Christianity more than Judaism, for the church more than the synagogue has been influenced by the Neoplatonic split between spirit and body. And in its more extreme forms, such a view perceived true spirituality as sexless, 
celibacy as meritorious, and bodily mortification and pain as conducive to spiritual purification. Good news comes, he says, in the recognition that a sensuous, body-embracing sexual spirituality is more authentic to both Jewish and Christian heritages. And we're beginning to see, he says, that repressed sexuality keeps the gods at bay and does not bode well for the fullest, healthiest spirituality. We're beginning to recognize that the kind of erotic and bodily hungers celebrated in the Song of Songs are the human sharings and the passionate longings of God, the Divine One, who is shamelessly the Earth's lover. Well, healing this body-spirit split is a journey we all make, and that journey for LGBTQ plus people often includes feeling like we have to choose between our sexuality and our spirituality. This was a struggle for me and my own coming out process. I loved God. I was raised in the church. I had a profound religious experience when I was 16 years old. But when I realized I was a lesbian my sophomore year in college, I felt so disoriented in my body and my spirit. On the one hand, I felt so alive and awakened by my sexuality. And on the other, I struggled with what my Southern Baptist Church had taught me about homosexuality. So I felt like I had to choose between my sexuality and my spirituality. So, so I'd choose God. And I'd say, I am not going to be gay anymore. <laughs> Anybody here tried not to be gay? <laughs> not to be trans? Not to be bi? I tried not to be a lesbian many times. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, <laughs> It's not a matter of willpower, <laughs> and it's exhausting. <laughs> and it's especially exhausting when you try to do it by yourself. Trying to choose between my sexuality and my spirituality became so exhausting and painful that I decided to reach out to someone for help. And oddly enough, the first person I reached out to was my Southern Baptist pastor and he was amazing. Paul Duke is his name. He met with me a few times to listen to my struggles, and then he referred me to a therapist who turned out to be a Roman Catholic nun. She helped me realize that I didn't have to choose between my sexuality and my spirituality. Both were essential parts of who God had created me to be. She helped me to believe that I was fearfully and wonderfully made a lesbian and a Christian. So I just want to say thank God for allies and parents and pastors and therapists and for folks who care to learn about LGBTQ plus people's journeys and who love and support us on our way to wholeness. Many of us will go to the Pride Parade right after this service and will witness lots of ways that LGBTQ plus people are proud of our sexuality. I hope there'll be some dykes on bikes, <laughs> floats with people in leather, drag queens and drag kings coming down the street. 
And this pride, I encourage LGBTQ plus people also to be proud of your spirituality. We have a rich history of being spiritual people, you know. Historians have discovered that in ancient cultures across the world, gender variant and same gender loving people have functioned in their societies as shamans and mediators, the in-between people, keepers of beauty and healers. All of us, in one way or another, are on this journey of the holy integration of our sexuality and our spirituality to live more embodied lives and to bring that embodiedness to our faith. And so I invite us to hear these words again from the psalmist, claiming that God has always been present with us and will continue to be present with us as we make our way. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I will thank you because I am wonderfully made. Amen. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.